Hello. Today's guest is a friend of mine who is a composer and musician, guitarist, electronic musician, improviser based out of Dallas. His name is Jordan Watson. And our conversation on this episode talks about life as a performing musician, both inside and outside of academic culture, and what it means to traverse both of those worlds and to exist with sort of a foot in each of those worlds. Jordan also maintains a private teaching studio, so if you are interested in lessons in electronic music production, electronic music generally, guitar, composition, improvisation, I've included his teaching link below, so check that out. And before we get started, please remember to like, leave a comment if you have any thoughts, and subscribe to my channel. And if you would like to consider supporting my content generally, please visit my Patreon page. Welcome to Music in Mind, Music in Mind, with Anthony Hi. Hello. This is Jordan Watson. He's a friend of mine, and we did a master's program together four, five years ago, a while ago. Yeah, going ago. on graduating four yeah. years ago. So. At uh, University of California, Irvine, in Integrated Composition, Improvisation, and Technology. I'd see IT. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so how's it going? You got, you got a drink going? I got... I got a drink. Let's see if I can get it out. <laughs> From the microphone setup, I got Cheers. my... Uh, Ooh, nice. Yeah. That's fancy. What do you got? got this um, little bit of Jameson and green tea, one of my drinks of choice. Interesting. I've never done that. Yeah. Is it hot or cold? Cold. Yeah. I got my uh, got my whiskey ball. I don't know if you can see. Oh, nice. Yeah. And this uh, Kentucky breakfast stout <laughs> glass that I got when I was um, went to a bar in Boston last year. Oh, fun. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Tasty stuff. What do you got? Uh, this is a, it's a cream ale. Tastes kind of like a cream soda. It's nice. Uh, it's called Cali, Cali Creamin. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and it's a blue can, so that's fun. Sounds delicious. I'll have to try it if yeah. I can get it here in Texas. Tejas. Yeah. All right. So how's, how's life going? You just, you're in a new house. I'm in a new house, which is pretty crazy. The house we bought. So that's interesting, for sure. Yeah. It was... Um, it's crazy to think about buying a house. It's just like, it's... I feel like I'm not an adult. Like, it's such an adult thing to do. Yeah. Um, You're like a real grown-up now. <laughs> with my adult beverage. Yeah, regs. <laughs> in my adult house. <laughs> it does feel that way. I mean, I think, obviously, a lot of people in our generation and nearby generations sort of have that going on, not to get too political right away, but go for it. Uh, yeah. And, and also for us, it was very weird because we, we had been talking, this was sort of one of the big bucket list things when we're ready to be adults, this is what we're going to do. And we knew, you know, when Christina got the job down here in Texas and we moved down here in um, July or August of 2018, Okay, probably going to get a house soon-ish. Housing market is good in Dallas, so mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. Um, a lot of her colleagues pretty much got houses within the first year of living here. It's amazing. But one thing we didn't really think is a lot of her colleagues had spouses who were 
working full time. Mm. <laughs> and so with me being this freelancing uh, house <laughs> husband, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that that's funny. A freelancing house husband. That makes it sound like that's the job. <laughs> yeah, freelancing you, comma house husband. Oh, <laughs> you you you're not working out there as a as a for hire house husband. No, but maybe I should. <laughs> um yeah, we said, okay, well, first year, I guess that's not going to happen. Maybe it'll be year 2 or 3. Yeah. Um and then yeah, into January rolled around and all of a sudden we had a little bit more in savings and we said, okay, well maybe now's a good time to look and see what it looks like. Uh-huh. Probably just get a plan and then maybe next year. And so into February, middle of February, we went and talked to a loan officer. We found out we could get a grant from the state of Texas. Oh, wow. And we thought, okay, well maybe this makes sense, you know, have a little bit of investing into an asset that's appreciating in value in theory over time. Yeah. Um, and so we, we went and saw this guy and we're uh, pre-approved within like a day. <laughs> like, okay, well we'll go look. And then we happened to like find this place like two weeks later and it had this room in it. And a lot of the other places we saw it was all just this room would be the garage. Yeah. And I said, you know, this would be a good studio space. And it's actually close to uh, train stations so that Christina can actually take public transportation to work. Great. When people actually go back to work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I forgot. Nobody's working. It's like an eight-minute bike ride to the station so she can take her bike. And then it's like another eight minutes from the station to the school. And so we thought, this is great. Let's put in an offer and just see what happens. And it went through. And we like... Okay, within like two weeks, we had this contract and we were going, and then, and that was middle, beginning of March. I think March second, we we signed the first contract, which you have like a week to back out and only lose a hundred bucks. Wow! And so, sure enough, two weeks into March, all of a sudden we were like, okay, I think this thing is going through, and everything with Corona really flares up, and the economy starts actually tanking, yeah. and our interest rate jumped. Oh, um, luckily, not too crazy. Um, it's actually better off than it was last year still. So we, we had this long story short, this long period of like two weeks of like, like you were saying, is this crazy? I know we want to be adults here. But being <laughs> but in like, a house right now, I feel like is good. I would rather be in a house. That was a I big am. selling point. We have a yard right. and, and, oh, and that yeah. sort of thing. And we can actually kind of walk around we were in this apartment complex that had like these central lakes and we were going oh. for walks just to yeah. try to get a little air and exercise yeah. within those first uh, couple weeks of march and all of a sudden you know everyone's starting to be home more and more over those weeks it was just getting get too crowded. crowded yeah so here so far we can like walk around multiple blocks there's like a park great. they took the basketball hoops down and stuff but yeah. <laughs> you know, you can kind of at least meander and be away from people. So. Yeah. I mean, I go on runs every day, but all the parks are closed. So although they did re some reopened, but I was just running like around this big parking lot, this <laughs> empty parking lot. I would just go around. Nice. So yeah. kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, definitely weird being in a house, but great. At the yeah. same time, I mean, the space big... looks awesome. 
Yeah, thanks. It's uh, still what, what are those guitars? Is there a, is there a classical there too? There is my. <laughs> For those yeah. just listening, he, he's got three guitars behind him. So I was just asking. So this is Ooh, a nice. way out of tune. Not and that really out of tune, old though. strains. Not that out of tune. Uh, yeah. But super old strains. I don't think I've changed these since undergrad. Okay. When I was have I learned. have I seen this one before? Have I played it? Um, maybe. It's an old Guild. Mark IV from the 60s. Oh, okay. And it's a, uh, uh, the top is pear wood. Hmm. Which is kind of cool. interesting. Um, <laughs> I got it at a pawn shop for like a thousand bucks, and it's definitely not as nice as like a lot of the classical guitars that serious classical guitarists and serious well, classical sure. guitar departments are <laughs> playing on, but it sounded a lot better than the piece of junk I had originally, and I liked the pear wood yeah. aspect. It's it, funny so. with with uh, classical instruments because I feel like people who don't play in the classical and or jazz world have no sense for how much nice instruments cost. Yeah, because like a nice electric guitar will be several thousand, but a, a nice classical guitar could be fifteen thousand. Like it's a yeah. whole other world. Exactly. So, yeah, that that is definitely on the lower end of that world because I was I had decided to do the classical guitar thing actually when I went into music school in undergrad. This I knew was I wanted to Western Washington. At Western, yeah. yeah. Uh, I knew I wanted to do the composition degree and they had the requirement of, of you have to still be taking lessons on some instrument. Right. And I had been playing violin from 5th grade up through high school. Uh-huh. Um, and it even started, I played upright bass my senior year of high school. Oh, so wow. I had like three choices. You know, I had started college and I, it took a little while. Like, okay, do I want to do this? Okay, if I do, I could do classical guitar. Because I had originally yep. wanted, there was a jazz guitar program in the catalog. But when I got there, the, the program had been defunct for a couple of years. And it was still in the catalog mm. for some random reason. <laughs> uh, so that was not going to happen. So if I wanted to do guitar, it had to be classical and uh, otherwise I could keep going on violin or even start kind of new on upright bass. And ultimately, you know, I was playing guitar in bands and stuff anyways. Like, all right, guitar is my thing. I'm going to do that, and it's, it can't hurt me, right? <laughs> can only help. Uh, so I took that summer my freshman year, um, after my freshman year of undergrad, and took lessons with one of the current uh, classical students and kind of got my... Um, Lobo studies oh yeah one and uh up I, to a little bit of par and yeah. got in the next year <laughs> i still use the the first uh Lobo study for every new technique i'm trying to learn i just use that chord progression so oh I'm yeah doing five finger raschiato and uh what else have i been doing with it uh the 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 ten tuplet rakes one two, oh three, yeah four five one two three four five one two three four those i nice. just go through the progression because it's such a nice chord progression oh yeah I'm always, oh, this one's in C tuning, but um, <laughs> yeah. That's not cool, too. <laughs> um, especially a lot of times if I get on stage at a show yeah. and I'm just like trying to mess around, see how it sounds, I'll, I'll just go into that. Yeah. Do a few chords. Um, yeah, this is this Rogue Steel String, Rogue by Squire by Fender. Yeah, so this is second guitar on his stand for those listening Jordan uh, steel string acoustic electric 
And I've had this since I was in early high school. I got it from a family friend for a hundred bucks. Nice. And so it's not a great guitar really, except it has like the perfect action for yeah, an acoustic it looks guitar. Great. And it doesn't sound all that bad. It doesn't sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but like you can get an okay sound out of it and it's got a pickup. Yeah. Years ago great. in high school. I don't know if you can see the bottom there. Ooh, ouch. My yeah. brother dropped it off a trash can and it hit the cement. So now there's a, a crack. A little beat up. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's good. My, my classical looks really weird because it's got these weird wood uh, stains on it. Oh, yeah? I don't know if I saw that. Uh, well, no, I, I did. It was there. Yeah. I, I, can, I can show you. <laughs> I can show you. This sure, is great sure. for those listening. Yes. Uh, I don't know what it is, like a water stain or something. Like, oh yeah, Does, is that worse than when no, I saw it last four years ago? Okay, I just didn't notice. It, it was there when I bought it. I, I bought it from the from my guitar professor in undergrad, and uh, hmm. I it it's never. I like the sound of the guitar. It, it's yeah. just this weird little blemish on it. I don't know. What That's it interesting. Is. Um, the other guitar player from uh, many of my bands when I was up in Washington, he got a Fender Lead 2 mm. um, guitar, very similar to a Strat, years ago, probably when we were in high school, from his uncle. And it had a similar type of just miscoloration mm -hmm. that was happening. Um, so it was a red lacquer finish, glossy finish, but it started just having splotches that were like turning purple. Whoa, that's kind of awesome. And it was it was getting more and more purple over time. Oh, nice. Um, but he sanded it all down and did a natural finish redo of the whole guitar a couple years ago. It's a fun project. Yeah. So uh, what have you been working on? Oh, the third guitar. I got to show you the third one. Yeah. We'll come back to it later. I remember this, is the this one. one. You know. Oh of yeah. And so, that's that's the main axe, the the carbon, um, semi hollow semi -hollow, electric. Yeah. With an acoustic pickup in the bridge. That's yeah. cool. So, even though I know you know that one, if yeah. anyone's actually watching this video. <laughs> hey, the last one got like he 16 said two views. Gu three guitars, but they only talked about yeah. two. That's a, it's, a good, it's a good mix. Yeah, I think it's what it you, works. It's what you need. Electric, Everything steel string, nylon. Yeah. Man, I feel like I need so many guitars. I, I bought a, a, a hollow body arch top last year and nice. a new banjo and yeah and now i feel like i need a, a strat and a telly because like <laughs> i mean maybe not now because i don't think performing is ever coming back but <laughs> maybe yeah yeah but i was playing shows that would specifically call for a strat or a telly and i'd be like damn all i have is a les paul that's pretty different yeah <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I was going to say, you know, I've, I've never been the type to really be like, I need another guitar once I got that carve. And I, yeah, I was wasn't either. I was, I'm like super not a gearhead, and like I've had to become one because of my Yeah, career. and I was going to say that's what it seems like is if you're really gigging in that way, Yeah, that makes sense. It's this that, thing where like if there isn't another guitar player in the pit, it's usually fine, and every time I see it say Strat, I'm like, oh, this isn't. I know that it, this isn't sounding quite right, but yeah. if I'm playing with another guitar player, I'm like really embarrassed. 
<laughs> well, could you get um, coil taps installed on your Les Paul? Probably. Because that's, that's the thing. Once I got this carbon, since it has the coil tabs, I feel like I can get that if I need to. Yeah, that sound? Can, yeah, it's not exact, but... Does it have humbuckers also? It's, it's a two humbucker guitar. Okay. Um, but the electronics are wired so that you can flip a switch for each humbucker to flip it to single coil. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So and you... then it also, it also has a third switch, which is a phase switch. I remember and that, yeah. So you can flip it to kind of get that out of phase sound of like the Strat yeah. the, in between the neck and, and the bridge. And it's or semi-hollow, the so you could also get like a, like a Freddie Green sound or something out of it too. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Although yeah. it is it is much thinner than a full hollow body, and yep. it is semi. But yeah, yeah you can you can get there. It is pretty versatile. Yeah. Um, the only thing I, I think I've played some newer Carvins. I think they've gotten better at this over the years. But this particular guitar, when I um, throw the coil tap switches, the volume reduces super drastically. Which mm, okay. makes sense because right. you're going from the humbucker to the single yep. coil, but it is much more drastic than some of the other carbons I've played mm-hmm. recently. So it's, I don't do it if I'm playing a live gig very often, just because right. the volume difference is so bad. Mm-hmm. And until I got a point where I had like a volume boost switch on my board or something, so that yep. I don't have to mess with anything and I could just leave it just for that. You always Which, need something, man. There's a problem with every new thing you're trying to do. You need something to, like, it's this unending set of things you need to fix yeah. a problem created by the new thing you're doing. It's yeah, magic. and now I have that with a house, too. Yeah, right. I bet. <laughs> yeah. And we're only three weeks in. You just like headaches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's cool. So wh- what have you been working on? Oh man, uh, that's I mixed. You, you, post, you posted an album recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so about a year now, I've been working with some people here in Dallas on a new band. Um, and as most of my bands tend to be, it's an eclectic mix of prog and jazz, fusion, funk, mm-hmm. bluegrass, whatever, anything and everything, um, and a healthy dose of improvisation. Um, GM bandy, if you will, although I tend not to like that term, but so it goes. <laughs> We're in the jam band scene in Dallas. Um, yeah, so we put that out three tracks we recorded back in November in the bass mm-hmm. player's house. Um, and I sort of went and we did a few overdubs and I mixed that up and mastered it. And we just put it out a month ago. So the band is Liquid Mirage, mm-hmm. based out of Dallas, Texas. Um, and a tune from my um, own hand, if you will, <laughs> uh, and a song that was has been kicking around for a while and was included on the album by my band, the last album we put out, uh, uh-huh. by my band in Washington. And then the other guitar player had a song and the bass player had a song. And So you each wrote, or the three of you wrote? Three out of the five of us, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I listened to it. It sounded great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You, you mixed it? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was Yeah, awesome. and it was a real, like, janky recording setup. That's um, the best. The bass player actually had a really nice mixer that he could borrow from work, and so we did use that, and we were able to connect into the computer with Ethernet um, and multi-track into Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't have a ton of great mics, and I 
still had was able to kind of get some okay room sounds even though we were in this like tile living room mm-hmm. um tile wow that sounds like yeah. a headache yeah there was some rugs in there okay so and we had we put the two guitar amps way down the hallway in the two bedrooms and like one of them we forgot to turn the amp to face the other way and so the sound was actually coming from the room under the door and getting picked up by the mic pretty bad, which is something that I usually would take into account. But we were, you know, new recording setup, working with other people. We were, like, way behind schedule. We had to go to Guitar Center and buy, like, four different things, three different trips. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, so I didn't think about it, but I was going back through and mixing, and I'm like, I really wish I had caught this. But it makes you be creative, right? It does, I mean, it I, does. I like that aspect when things are less perfect. I don't know, like, whenever I go into a studio and everything's amazing, I feel like I can't do anything. Yeah, that's true. It is nice having the, like, well, this is where we practice, and this is where we record, and yep. it didn't feel any different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really got We did all the takes... Um, as I tend to do when I record my bands in this way, we do them all playing at the same time for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, did a lot more overdubbing in that album that I did with my Washington band, but this one, it was just everyone, no clicks, no nothing, just four takes a song and we kind of picked the best take, maybe spliced a few spots if it was off on on some of them. But yeah, I think you're right. It, It really just... However it was, it worked out for the best and, and felt good. Mm-hmm. I, I think that particular guitar track, I, re, I just overdubbed everything again. We re-recorded because yeah. I really couldn't control <laughs> the snare drum. It was just like right there. But um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun process and, and fun, fun album to have out. So looking forward to seeing how that project continues if yeah. anything ever is it, continues. Is it still happening? Are you guys... Technically, yeah, we're still a thing. We we had one last show that was on the books right before everything started shutting down. When and was we that? Were all, it was on March 14th. Nice. So it was supposed to be the big Dallas St. Patty's Day Parade. Yeah. They had already canceled the parade like three days before. But we had gotten the order from Dallas County um, as of the day that we played that show that anything less than 250, 250 people was okay. So and and all of us were kind of like, do we want to play this gig? Do we not? We were already added to it kind of last minute, and ultimately more people decided to do it. So yep. yeah, uh, yeah, we yeah, went of course. And we we brought the um, the disinfecting wipes, <laughs> wiped on the microphones, and you know did what we needed yeah. to do. And that was the mm-hmm. last last thing we did. And we're sort of still in touch with each other and just. Sometime we'll start practicing again and hope that live music's coming back. <laughs> Next year? But yeah. Who knows? Man, I don't know. Yeah, my last gig was uh, March 12th or 13th, I think. Okay, so yeah. And it was, uh, it was so weird. It, it was a production of Sister Act, the musical, to an okay, empty nice. theater. No one there? Nope. It was, it was only like one performance or was it a couple performances and the audience just kept getting smaller and smaller? No, no, it was just one. It was like, oh. uh, it was out in Rancho Cucamonga. So San Bernardino County had just mm-hmm. issued that no, it was like no, no crowds on over 10 or something or 50. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. But uh, 
basically it was like not legal to have an audience there. Mm-hmm. And so we just did a recording and they like uploaded it online or something. But it was just like, it felt so strange to play a musical with no crowd reaction. So like, yeah. we'd get to and, the end of and Act And very one. obviously not be in rehearsal. Right, exactly. It was the weirdest feeling. Like we get to the end of the whole show and there's no applause. We play like the exit music, the bows. And it's <laughs> like, wow, this is like so strange. And then yeah. we're just like, okay, I guess we go home now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be weird. I, I, I hadn't had to do anything like that, at least relating to the coronavirus so far. <laughs> and I'm, I'm imagining I won't have to do that again. But I, I sort of feel like things will probably start coming back, and then we'll probably have a series of two, three-week shutdowns again. Yep. You know, I mean, a few I, of them. But I think things like band performances, like outdoor gigs and stuff Mm -hmm. i think stuff like that might come back the end of this year who knows yeah musicals theater productions anything like that who's gonna go and sit in a big theater with tons of other people like even if it opened tomorrow how many people would go (laughs) nobody well that's the big thing here in texas um we're one of the southern states (laughs) that are opening everything Mm, mm -hmm. we're we're not quite as on top of it as georgia right uh, as i heard you talking in the last podcast with richard (laughs) but uh you know we're we're pretty on it we're so everyone's forcing well not forcing but there's a lot of people trying to reopen Uh um or at least there's a lot of noise about it i don't think there are that many places of business that are actually reopening here though i mean i think it's like I think this is, like, going to change our entire generation's consciousness. Oh, I'm sure of it. I mean, we're going to have, like, lifelong, like, neuroses about germs. and stuff. Like, we're just going to be weirdos for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyhow. <laughs> Drink to that, right? Oh, yeah. Cheers. <laughs> I've been trying this thing where I put my music on this Reddit page called Roast My Track. Oh, yeah? It's pretty funny. People are extremely mean. (laughs) (laughs) But I I read this quote that was like, composers shouldn't go more than a week without hearing criticism about their music. I'm like, yeah, that sounds sounds good. And then I read them and I'm like, It's like a muscle that will atrophy. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, man, I've been in this argument with this one guy because I... I've been working with this nine-note scale recently that I use to write uh, an orchestra piece. And like, yeah, which and I heard that was sounding great, by the way. Cool, thanks. I was really I mean, it's just a the, mock-up, but yeah, but still, you know, the idea's there. I like it. <laughs> I I really dug the um, what you're doing with the drums too. Oh man, that so that um, uh, Oliver Dobrian, who is mm-hmm. a friend of ours and drummer. Uh, turned me onto this band out of Perth called Carnivool. <laughs> it's, and I, I sent that yeah, to you. Yeah, you sent me that and, track. And, and uh, their track, uh, I guess the the Pro Tools session is in 27-4. Okay. And that groove, I, I based the drum part in the orchestra piece on that groove because it's nice. in 7 plus 7 plus 7 plus 6. Okay. And the kick never hits on one. 
So it just but it, to add to the complication. But it feels so groovy. It just it like does. it rocks so hard and it's like so off kilter, but it's not. It's like right there. And I love yeah. that that combination. Well, and I was thinking too when I was listening through that uh, your piece. It, obviously, there's so many orchestra pieces with drum set or yeah. guitar or these things that just just sound really weird and don't quite work. <laughs> But it was really interesting to like, especially to have sort of the sections surrounding it. Right. Just have whatever percussion there was in there be a little bit more traditional. Mm -hmm. And then just, and it had a a good transition in and out of it. And it just, for whatever reason, probably that reason, it worked a lot better than a lot of those (laughs) other drum set and orchestra. I hope so. Yeah. I'd like to hear it. I submitted it to... uh, the, the kaleidoscope call oh, for nice. score. So we'll see. It'd be yeah. fun. It'd be fun to hear it. But uh Definitely. Well I hope they pick it up. I um I submitted to them last year. Nice. And I submitted I, I actually when I first moved down here last year, I guess now it's getting close to two years ago, but fall of twenty eighteen I spent like To a Dallas month, you mean? Yeah, to Dallas. I spent a month really just like I think I did like three or four electronic pieces and then over the next few months, I was submitting those and then going through and finding any possible submissions yeah. um, that I could do to submit um, acoustic works to chamber pieces and stuff that I've had sitting around for years yeah. or newer things. Um, just because I had never really done that. Mm-hmm. Everything I had done was like when I was in undergrad, I was composing. Everything was just performed there and that was that. And I had my bands mm-hmm. and my bands were sort of the thing I was doing that was right. more public facing. Um, and then I moved to LA and sort of everything fell by the wayside. I had to get a job and we have no money and, (laughs) and then, okay, I'm going to grad school. So we, you know, we go to UCI and I was doing that and obviously, okay, now I have some room to do this again. And when I get out of school this time, I'm really gonna hit it. Well, then we moved back to Bellingham and had to figure out money again and so it was another two years and i was really trying hard to do more freelancing mm-hmm. um there because i knew we were probably going to be moving within anywhere from a year to five years or so and i wanted to have a little bit of a leg up in teaching lessons and doing some things for myself because i just was tired of going and working for companies and stuff <laughs> and, and i'm sure everyone is and Yep. But so so I really was trying to do that and and as such had hit the same thing right afterwards it's like not much was going on but I did have the band again, right? So that was cool and so then when I moved to Dallas it was like okay, no band right now. Uh-huh. I'm freelancing. I have I do teach this online music technology course, introductory course through Western. Oh great. So when I moved I was able to keep that and it's now a permanent general requirement course which is great. great. And so I have a little bit of steady income from that, and I just do a little bit of grading and answering questions every week and meeting Is that students every, when they need. every semester, every quarter? Every quarter, yeah. Wow. Are you doing it in the summer, too? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, and I did a lot of the lectures are YouTube videos, so they're just up. Um, they're privately listed. Okay. And they're just in the Canvas course for the students. Um, and I'll go update when I need to software but, updates and, but people and stuff take, like that. Sign up and take your class, right? Through yeah, Western if they're Washington. students at Western Washington University. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do it um, for all of my listeners. In yeah, Bellingham. music 110, electronic music and technology. Oh, yeah. Do you do Max? I don't. I briefly mention it, and I may have had to take that <laughs> And you that tell them, don't out. do it. <laughs> you had to. T- sounds like a conspiracy to well, me. Well, I, I, I kind of designed it as a little bit of a hybrid with the class that Co taught at UCI that I TA'd for, right. mm-hmm. and the class Co- that Kojiro I took. Umezaki at UCI. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and the class that I took from Bruce Hamilton at Western. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had all these ideas of all the things because I really wanted to sort of go through the history kind of decade by decade uh-huh. uh, to some extent. The earlier stuff I kind of lump together a little bit and the later stuff as well. Um, so I wanted to have the history in there. Cool. And I wanted to have the hands-on, let's try to make something mm-hmm. um, in a DAW. And originally I was using BandLab, which was sort of like the Google Docs of a DAW. Oh, so you can uh, edit together remotely? Yes, although it had a lot of issues. Yeah, the the Pro Tools Connect, uh, that's not what it's called, but there's a a way you can do that with Pro Tools too, and it's annoying. And so there was a lot of students where they'd be working in their project at the same time, but you can't actually see the other person there, kind of like you can in Google Docs. Right. So then they'd like do all this work, and then the project would fork, and you'd get all these forked versions of it, and then, oh, my stuff was in there when I recorded it, and it was a headache, so I moved uh, over to Reaper, which is nice. Yeah. It's a low-cost mm-hmm. um, DAW, uh, 60 bucks I think, for the license, which is nothing yeah. for students, and you can kind of get around that if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I do that, the history, the hands-on stuff, and I do a little bit of um, analog synthesis. I talk through synthesis, and we do a little a project where we work in uh, VCV Rack, an open-source analog synthesis cool. emulator program, uh, which is free. Uh, and I have a bunch of weekly Spotify listening playlists that they go listen to and have listening journals. So it's a, awesome. It hits a lot of different things. It's really designed as this super on-the-surface-level survey intro thing. Let's just hit a little bit of everything and give you some hands-on But the, I think the listening and the history part is important. It makes it really... I, I think it's important to put that kind of stuff into context because you can Definitely. get so in the weeds of, like, how do I do this specific thing? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've gotten pretty good feedback from most of the students, so... Sounds fun. Maybe As maybe long I'll, as people sign, sign up for it... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm teaching it, so it's, that's nice. Um, but yeah, anyways, that was a long tangent to the point was I was it? trying to make, which was when I moved down here, I, I oh, really right. tried to like hit a lot of these commissions and competitions and submissions. And I, I went to Seamus in oh sweet 2019, and I had never been. And I'm like, I'm gonna go like Did you to conferences present? and stuff. No, I submitted a piece, didn't didn't mm. get in. I think I'm pretty sure I know why. It was a re. <laughs> you say that a, like you did something bad. Well, I didn't do like anything. Like I did bad. tell them to go fuck themselves. Uh, yeah, why? Well, I, I should not have done that. <laughs> Hindsight, twenty twenty. <laughs> no, I took a piece that I wrote in two thousand thirteen when I was in LA before I started at UCI for uh-huh. Piero Ensemble minus Piano for a, a, the only other submission call for scores that I had ever done. Uh huh. And it didn't get picked up there. The loose concept behind the piece, it was called uh, Missing Time, Music for Eight and a Half Minutes, 
Have I heard this? Do I know this? Movie? I think I played you a MIDI mock-up okay. at one point. But the whole idea was loosely based on this X-Files episode <laughs> that I watched. And, and, and X-Files in general or, or UFO mythology. And this yeah. whole idea of if you get abducted, you come back and, like, your watch has stopped and there's this missing time. You don't remember it, but all of a sudden there's, like, seven minutes from... Oh, when yeah. your clock stopped because cool. of the electromagnetic yeah, yeah, yeah. interference and whatever. And so my thought was, you know, I had this whole thing and this build up, and then right as it's getting to the climax of the piece, I drop everything down super quiet and everyone's playing, the four players are playing different notes and they're microtonally kind of moving towards mm. the same pitch in the same register. And having this moment of just like being in the concert hall or wherever it's being performed, and this thing that's just so quiet, so like pianissimo, so subtle, nothing's really happening, just really long notes, and they're just slowly moving and gelling into this pitch, almost like a meditative mm -hmm. type piece of music that you can find out there. Um, do you actually feel, as the title suggests, that this is an eight and a half minute piece, it's really 11 minutes long? So this two and a half minute section, right as the climax is about to happen, mm, do you like feel time it? Suspended, right? Time go away? Is yep. the time missing, or do you? Does it feel maybe longer if you're a person <laughs> you're who's like, not into geez. that stuff? What is this thing gonna be over? So I, I thought it was this cool concept, and I had this piece that never got performed or anything, and so I thought, hey, mm -hmm. why don't I take that and bring it into Ableton and use a bunch of synths and yeah. other electronic instruments and yeah. kind of just recreate it. Yeah. So I did that. And I think that being that that was that the society for electroacoustic music, maybe just, I don't know that they hated it per se or, but it probably just didn't have enough of the acoustic element of electroacoustic music because it was a lot of synthesizers and electronic sounds and not very many samples that were, or field recordings. A lot of the electroacoustic music style, yeah. if you're familiar with it, tends to have that stuff, and this piece did not. So I think there were probably plenty of other pieces that did that they said, yeah, let's have you on. So, I feel again, like the, the electroacoustic distinction is interesting, and it's me, and it's like my picky problem with words, but like a speaker is an electroacoustic instrument. Yes. Your ears well, it, and your brain as a combination are an electroacoustic instrument. That's very true. In my class, the first time I taught it uh, was actually when I was um, subbing for the normal professor who teaches the intro to electroacoustic music course at Western mm -hmm. when I was there in person. And I said, he, they were going to have me do it. And I said, is it okay if I kind of do more my version of the class so that I can prep it for when it gets online? Sure, go for it. So when I did it, one of the first things we talk about in the very first lecture is like, okay, electroacoustic music. Basic definition, electroacoustic. <laughs> in theory, anything that has any kind of acoustic instrument or electronic yeah. instrument works. Yeah. And, and, and I, this idea of technology, well, technically the violin is a technology. Right. <laughs> right. So trying to get in the weeds on it, and I, I don't know how successful I was that first quarter I think teaching. Getting into the but. weeds is important because I feel like with with words, while words change their meaning, and I get into a lot of arguments with people, about <laughs> this, but while a word might not mean what it used to mean, 
I think that those shifts in meaning are all important and embedded in these words is still these ideas. Like a crazy thought is that the word government means mind control. Hmm. And it doesn't, like, that isn't really what we mean by it today. Yeah. But I don't think that it's completely divorced from it either. Yeah, that is like interesting. A government, it's, cr- yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, and, and that's not what we mean when we're talking about, like, voting for a congressperson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so electroacoustic technology. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a weird thing, right? And it, it has come to be known as it's, it's almost a genre identifier. Right. But not really, also, because you go to an electroacoustic music conference or you listen to an electroacoustic yeah. music um, compilation mm-hmm. on CD. On CD. No, probably on YouTube But I feel like any, you, you it, could it argue that anything you right hear of, is acoustic in some way. If you can yeah. hear it, it's acoustic. And then yeah. if it's being produced by a computer, it's electroacoustic. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. You know, no no hard feelings with them or anything. I think they just, <laughs> you know, there was plenty of other great of pieces course. that they yeah, picked. Yeah. And, and being that mine had not as many acoustic elements, yeah. I think. Yeah, for whatever. But I went, and it was fun. Nice. And it was, like, within a month of me sneezing a piece of my back out. So oh I was God, yeah. just barely able to walk. I was really worried about, is a four-hour flight to Boston? Am I going to be able to, like, do that? Oof. And I did. And actually, it was probably good for me because there was a lot of walking back and forth between Berkeley mm-hmm. and Boston Conservatory between venues uh-huh. for the different things that were happening. And the first day, I was, like, really hobbling <laughs> and going kind of slow. By the third day, I was like, hey, I, I'm kind of, like, actually walking. That's better. great. So Loosened you up nice. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yes, anyhow, I had to have a tendency to ramble it's fine. So it's apologies for that. But no, that's what this is for. Trying to get back to my my point of submissions. Submiss- submissions. Um, I had done all of this stuff, and then sneezing my back out. All this starting up this band, all these things, holidays, um, and then getting into this year and right. everything with coronavirus. It does feel a little like, what am I doing? I, well, I'm teaching the class. I have this band that's kind of sort of there. But now it's all been consumed by house stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping, I really have been trying this year, my goal is to put out an album of a lot of those, like three or four electroacoustic pieces that I did make during that time and haven't mm-hmm. really seen the light of right, day. Right. Um, pieces like that Missing Time piece is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, do you remember that, uh, the duo pieces we wrote in Creative Practices? Yep. In ICIT, so the piece I wrote, which was like this bluegrass chamber yeah, music, yeah, I remember that. Thing, yeah, yeah. You know the performances they gave <laughs> were they weren't bad, but they they could have been better. And so I, I only have a MIDI version of it currently. So I, I want to try to maybe go and I was thinking I might just take a bunch of samples of different notes on violin and piano and just build a collage of just random samples. Uh, to play the piece. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Maybe it's not very good, but... That could be cool, um, though. I wanted to see if I could maybe find a violinist and pianist mm-hmm. uh, where Christina's working, but it hasn't happened, so... There might be some, like, commission calls out there. Sometimes there are. 
chamber ensembles call for yeah hours. well and that's the thing that was i think i did submit that one mm -hmm. to one of those things because yeah. i did the, going back it was kaleidoscope because ah, right, i did right, that right. one last year too and I, nothing came through um but it Nothing is weird. Nothing ever comes think... through for me either. I, I submit <laughs> all the time, and I just get perpetual no's. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is a little weird kind of, and I, there are a lot of us out there for sure, but being in this weird situation of like straddling one foot in kind of academic, serious art music world yeah. and mm -hmm. pop rock gigging, yep. making a living world, and even within those worlds, there's... Like, okay, so a couple years ago, I was tech director for a microtonal adventures festival at Western. So it was this microtonal so three fun. days. Yeah, two two or three days of microtonal music and lectures and stuff. Microtonal and lectures. me and Todd, the other guitar player from my Washington bands, we did this piece, which was mostly improvised. But I set up, I built this patch so that I could pitch track our guitars uh -huh. and pitch shift um, to different equal divisions of the octave. Mm. Um, you settings. posted so this a, online, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah a little yeah, while back. This. Yeah. So it's in three movements. It was like just 20 minutes we were going to improvise. And we sort of structure it out in these three movements, do a few minutes in 13 equal divisions of the octave instead uh -huh. of 12. So cool. it was weird, like playing guitar, and then all of a sudden, you know, you go up to what would be the E octave on the D string, second fret. Technically, now that's third fret mm. on the D string. And then mm. the okay. next octave, instead of right. um, open yep. E string, mm -hmm. you have to play second fret on the mm -hmm. E string. And it just keeps going up every octave. Right. So, so that was in 13. And then the second movement is shifted to 23. Great. So not quite quarter tones. And then, of course, you have this weird thing where you're like playing super high on the neck but it's still a pretty low note <laughs> that comes out. <laughs> right, because it takes so long to get, yep, yeah, yeah that makes yeah. sense. Uh, and then the third movement was sort of just mixing, and, and it was set up to randomly jump between mm -hmm. the two. And and I, I bring this up just because it was it was funny being there, and in some of the lectures, I, I don't think it was any direct thing, but I and I was pretty, I still am, I think, a pretty outsider, new person into the microtonal realm because there are a lot of people who yeah. just go in and yeah. study and mm -hmm. know the math and they just know all these tuning systems yep. and everything. And I'm like, it sounds cool. I'm going to improvise. <laughs> so we had performed at the end of the first night and then some of these lectures the next day, I heard some people talking about like, well, there there are these tuning systems that everyone kind of just knows don't don't sound good. Like 13 EDO. Oh, no. And I go, but that's the one I played in. <laughs> I thought Everybody it knows cool. they don't sound good. Man, th so this is like this argument I've been in on Reddit. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's that, that idea of everybody knows that it just doesn't sound good. So when I was working on my orchestra piece, I, I was trying to figure out how to use the material in this scale. So I wrote this like stupid little jazz tune. Mm -hmm. uh, that I put up on Instagram. Oh yeah, I think I saw that one too. Uh, that was like preparation. I was trying to like yeah. learn the material, and uh, I posted that onto this uh, this roast my track thing, and he was like, "You named your chords all wrong, by the way, because I called my first chord a C major seven flat five add nine. That was mm -hmm. important to me. It's not a sharp eleven, because it's it has a G flat and it does not have a G." Yeah. 
and add nine because I only want, like I want it to have a nine, but I don't want it to add other extensions. Whatever, yeah. it was just what I wanted. And this is like in the weeds and only music <laughs> theory nerds will understand yeah. this. But he was like, no, it's definitely a major seven sharp 11. Putting add nine shows you don't know anything about jazz because that's going to be added anyway. And you should never play a C in the melody above it. That's like number one no in modal jazz, which you're obviously writing modal jazz. <laughs> and I was like, well, actually, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm using this nine note scale, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you're clearly writing modal jazz and you've overcomplicated the entire system with this nine note scale that makes no sense. And you must have been listening to like Aldi Miola and flamenco sketches and all this stuff. And you just don't know anything about jazz. And the, your choices have just sound bad. Well, I'm so glad that that person was there to, to get you back on the right track. I know, exactly. And it's like, I, okay. <laughs> yeah. I tr- like, you can listen to it that way. You can listen to it as bad jazz. <laughs> or maybe you could try and listen to it the way I'm proposing. Yeah. But but that's the thing. It is funny, right? Going back to this idea, I feel like I have one foot in two different worlds, but yeah. then in each of those worlds, there's already these other little camps that form. Right. And that, that example with the microtonal thing, I was like... Yeah, how about you try I, and was, hear the 13 is cool? Like I, I, It was a lot of people who their goal... And it's not everybody. Um, but there were a few people who it sounded like their goal for microtonal music was to try to make something that sounded pretty even though it wasn't in a tuning system that we're used to. What a boring goal. Which, which is weird. And again, that wasn't everybody there. There was just a couple of remarks that, and I don't even know if that was their actual position or if that's just <laughs> what I picked up on yeah. because I'm new to all of this stuff. But it is interesting, like, okay, you're at this super niche three-day microtonal festival yep. that already not very many people are at except for the diehards. Yet there's still this little bit of at least what I was perceiving a closed mindedness by just a few people of, well, if you're going to do microtonal music, it's got to sound like this. Like, wait, (laughs) we're already doing something that's probably considered by most people on the planet to be to some extent experimental, uh, save for the cultures who do use microtones in their practice. Um, So me going and playing in 13 or 23, which is considered some of the worst sounding equal division of the <laughs> octave scales. Okay. I don't know. I thought it sounded uh-huh. cool. Yeah. Um, and other people did too. So again, it's not knocking on anyone else, but it's just this weird feeling. My whole being has just always been this whole eclectic fusion yep. of anything and everything. And so it does feel weird going back to your point of sending this stuff out to submissions and you just never hear back and go, all right, well, I'm going to keep making it because I like it. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully. actually, one, one last one last thing and then maybe we can play a little bit yeah. to uh, to close this out. But uh, kind of going off that, where do you feel like your relationship is in terms of an audience? Do you do you care how an audience perceives your music? complicated yeah. question oh yeah, yeah. i mean sure. it's complicated it's just a thing how I've dare been, you ask me a complicated question it's a thing i've been struggling with there's not yeah, a right yeah. answer well it's weird i think i for so many years going back to being a kid mm-hmm. uh when i was uh 
maybe probably starting around middle school and definitely in high school once I did start my own band. And once I heard Frank Zappa and my mind got blown and I saw that there were all these other things out there. I have just for years over and over in my head, I don't care what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. I'm making what I'm making and there'll be people who like it. There'll be people who don't like it. Right. Whatever. I'm just going to do it. You're just being you. Yeah. And I, and I haven't cared and I've had bands that for so long were playing inaccessible music. We'd go on and maybe have a 30 minute jam in the middle of a set. Um, Yep. Didn't happen all the time, but you know, whatever. And my thought was always, especially in that context of being in the band and improvising, I always felt like even if people couldn't totally understand exactly what was happening, they could be brought into the situation, so to speak, just by the group on stage connecting and having an actual connection that is maybe physically visible just Mm -hmm. by the body language Mm -hmm. and is intangibly just present and coming from the stage out to the audience and sort of enveloping them and bringing them into the process, which I think was all in all a huge part of what my master's concert was at UCI. Yeah. Um, to some extent and figuring out how you can get those people a doorway to connect on some level, even if they don't understand it. Right. Well, I mean, your um, master's concert at UCI was very much taking into account the audience. List. I mean, like, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. the most possible, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jordan's master's um, concert was like audience voting about the music on stage and everything. Yes. Which I do have wild. another, I have another piece planned that is, I kind of, took a break from it, but I, I have another piece plan that maybe we'll do sometime because it's a duo. It was another thing that I proposed for a submission and oh, actually man, I made awesome. it to the second round, but then they didn't pick it. Damn. Um, but I, I have this idea of another piece that'll be kind of similar, uh-huh. um, less of a voting system per se, more of a choose your own adventure <laughs> type thing. Um, but I have this idea of doing it with a bunch of different other people Yeah. and kind of having different that sounds awesome. So maybe sometime yeah, we'll, we'll do that. It. Um, I feel like the possibilities, especially online for stuff like that, like where choose your own adventure, where there could be these streams happening simultaneously and people could move in between them and oh, they're yeah, all just yeah. happening in real time. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's this weird subconscious thing that's always just been in my mind about, I don't care about the audience, right. except I do. I want to give them something that they can grab onto. Even if they don't understand 99.9% of it, if they can get in somewhere and one thing is, oh, that was cool. Well, what if if it's the 13 tones and you know they hate that? So that's the one thing. And they're going to be like, (laughs) damn, 13 tones. And then they've they've understood something about your piece. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And that works for me. Although I do, I have to say there were a number of positive reactions after that performance. Nice. Um, one person who is a fairly well-known guitar player in the microtonal community came up to us. and was like, I've never heard alien sounds like that before in my life. And he plays guitar and he does a lot of stuff with effects. And uh-huh. so that was a, a nice compliment, like between cool. whatever we were doing on our pedals yeah. and, and putting it in the computer. Um, but to go back to this idea of the audience, so it is this weird, I don't care, Yeah. but at the same time, I want there to be some little doorway, mm-hmm. however small. And then, on the other hand, I've been realizing sort of, especially this last year, all of a sudden, I find that subconsciously, 
I do care more than I want to when it's a certain audience. Yep. So like, you know, even for example, um, doing all this stuff with the submissions and the call for scores and stuff, you can't help but have that little voice inside you going like, wait, what? I don't, it's not good enough. But like, yeah. don't, why you guys why are supposed like to like, yeah, right. like the interesting <laughs> experimental. You're the academic yep. serious do oh, push yeah. the envelope crowd. Yeah. But I'm not, oh, is it, there's too much of seeping in from the popular music side? Is that it? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll never know. And then same on the other side. Mm -hmm. Can I not, all my bands, we can usually build a a small audience that's somewhat sustained, but we're never like selling out venues and like getting that point where we're really making money. Yeah. Uh, And and maybe that'll change in Dallas if live music comes back i I kind of like the scene here so far a little better than washington and california as far as how they hire musicians and stuff and it's it feels like it's small enough Mm -hmm. that there's a space for it but at the same time not super small so we'll see but it is funny that then looking at that side like and then doing like this proggy like stuff that's notated and learning so there's this song off of the illogicians album my Mm -hmm band from Bellingham the second time around when I went back that I wrote called Shit the Fan, which is this bluegrass tune that I play mandolin on, but it's got this like super proggy uh-huh. bridge. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, and, we, and I actually got this band to play it, uh, most of it at one of our recent shows. Um, we couldn't quite learn the whole thing yet by the time we played it, mm-hmm. but we just sort of snapped off a couple bars and and did it and it's this weird thing of like cool we're doing this thing in dallas which is really bluegrassy and i know they'll that in and of itself is going to be pretty accessible for a lot of people but it's these weird like sarcastic lyrics uh, uh, about actually um i wrote most of those lyrics i had the verse made up years ago before i think i even started at uci someday i'm gonna write this bluegrass song and then all the rest of the lyrics came from um the 2016 election Oh, wow. And being okay. disillusioned uh-huh. with, you know, Bernie and Hillary and right. sort of this idea of people losing their seat at the table and kind uh-huh. of getting bought off. And mm-hmm. then ultimately it ends up in Trump being here. Yep. Um, again, not to get too political, but I mean, feel free. I don't know. I'm not a big Trump fan personally <laughs> uh, for any of those masses out there listening to us. Yeah. Um, All of my fans are Trump supporters. Okay. Well, so you are Trump. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, So each of the verses kind of goes like, okay, first it was being sad about Bernie kind of getting screwed a little bit. Yeah, same. I felt the same way. And then kind of moving on, okay, well then like... And again, What are they doing even with Hillary? And then finally the last verse is kind of like, well, we got this guy who's... (laughs) And it's all kind of tongue-in-cheek and you can totally take the words in any sort of interpretation you want. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that taking this song... And, and when the other band played it and when the new band played it here in Dallas, just kind of being very aware of like, cool, that's super accessible bluegrass style. The yeah. chord progression is maybe a little bit more progressive than most bluegrass stuff is because most bluegrass stuff, you're three or yeah. four chords, generally speaking. This maybe has eight chords in the verse. Wow, like bebop so, you bluegrass. Know. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, not to get too long-winded, but it is funny having that side of the round the popular side where you'll do something and then have this prog breakdown mm-hmm. and 
okay, I guess I see why also we're not getting a strong following sure. either. But at the same time, even though I can have these moments of feeling a little like, but why don't you like it? It's also just ultimately, even though I may go back and forth on the issue of how I feel about it, I always somehow just end up settling on, well, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and I'll have days where I feel bad about it Yep. and no one's listening. Yep. Especially, oh, yeah. I think, as you mentioned in the last podcast, how it's weird right now with coronavirus and everyone has a stream. I have not done one yet, yeah. partially because I'm dealing with house and I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I will at some point, but it is weird to be like, well, should I put anything out there? Well, I've been trying to figure out technically how to like make a, a like a virtual music venue that I can have different people come in and play sets at. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. I, it's just like I can't I can't f- there's like this tech hump of like the latency where the audio and video get too far off from each other and it's just so unappealing to watch that I don't know. I have to figure it out. It's like a it's a tech problem. But. Yeah. Well, let me know when you do. Okay. I'll play with you. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'll let you know if and when I ever get this duo thing written and Yeah. Love to. We'll we'll do a pass at it. Cool. So do you want to play a little bit now? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Uh I was going to go on my classical. Are you going to do cool. electric? Yeah, I think cool. I'll, I'll do a few things with some pedals and stuff. Sweet. Tune it to 13, dude. <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, last, uh, last year I did a project with, uh, with a few of the other ICIT people, with Richard Savory, and uh, I, I made a, a 24 note to the octave piano, but it wasn't even. Okay, yeah. And then I nice. uh, like redid the, the first Bach uh, two-part invention. Oh, okay. Was that on your YouTube? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty weird. I, when I was looking through the last couple of days after I saw the orchestra piece go up, I saw that up there. I haven't listened to it yet. It's weird. It's, it's short. So I will listen to it. <laughs> uh, Richard, who else was on it? Uh, I think Molly and Molly Jones and Anna Savory and then two other people from Georgia Tech who I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I should know their names. It's pretty <laughs> shitty of me not to be. Yeah, actually, that that Illogicians album from Bellingham has Richard and Molly on on one track. I had a trumpet player come in there and uh, record, and then I sent it out to them, and Richard's in Georgia, Mm -hmm. Molly was in Detroit at the time. So it was kind of interesting to mix together a track of all that stuff in their different rooms, and I I think I did okay. It sounds kind of like they're in the same room. Okay. Anything. Uh, rhythmically tight synchrony. Yes. Ob- obviously, <laughs> that's what that's what works best over Zoom connection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
crazy yeah well you know how it goes with the uh the clicks and the oh yeah the pedals <laughs> i haven't played something that weird in a long time too weird too weird for the masses that's good make them listen anyway cool yeah. well thanks for doing this yeah thanks for having me yeah we should uh catch up more often i know i have a tendency sometimes to Permit away and yeah. I'm bad with social media, right. so. But this, this is, is good. I think the the podcast makes me it, it forces me to to talk to people. So. Yeah. Well, and I was gonna say I think coronavirus is generally doing the same yeah. for me. So. So uh, where where can people go to find your stuff? Oh, a billion places. Okay. The Liquid Mirage <laughs> album, liquidmirage.bandcamp.com. Cool. Illogicians, illogicians.bandcamp.com. 
Um, particularly the album Mark the Time is the one that I spent a year working on, the first album they recorded while I was still in California. Um, so those are the two things that I've mentioned so far. Um, I've got a ton of stuff on YouTube. Um, my master's concert's up there. You can search yeah, I Voted Music. It's up there. It's pretty wild. Um, and that's, I think, on my YouTube channel, which is J Radon. So you can go there, and there's a bunch of random things. You can see the microtonal piece, other electroacoustic guitar piece I did while in Bellingham, and a couple other things. So Sweet. It's all around. Cool. Well, I'll put all the links and everything. All right. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening or watching, depending on whether you are watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast stream. Remember to like, leave a comment if you have any thoughts, and subscribe to my channel. And if you would like to support my content generally, please consider visiting my Patreon page. Thanks. Bye.